This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, February the 2nd, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Stephen Scott will tell you about the latest version of Humanware's Victor Reader Stream. And Don Dickinson has a preview of McLean's Magazine with an article about Canada's opioid crisis. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat, but let's begin the hour with the regional news updates. Beginning in British Columbia, BC's Prosecution Service has announced charges have been laid against five Mounties in connection with the death of an Indigenous man in July of 2017. Two RCMP constables are accused of manslaughter, while a sergeant and two constables are charged with attempting to obstruct justice. 35-year-old Arthur Dale Culver died in custody in Prince George. Following Culver's death, the BC Civil Liberties Association said it was aware of reports from eyewitnesses that Culver was taken forcibly to the ground by RCMP members immediately after exiting the liquor store without any provocation. Over to the prairies, the Saskatchewan government is moving to improve emergency medical service response times in Regina. The province says it plans to add 24 full-time positions to Regina EMS over the next three months. Health Minister Paul Merriman says the decision comes after hearing from paramedics and the public. Karen Wasilenko, president of the Health Services Association of Saskatchewan, says she is cautiously optimistic and hopes the Mo government will also improve EMS service in rural areas. Over to Ontario, where several Ontario school boards are planning to continue offering virtual learning next year. The boards moving forward include the Ottawa Carleton School Board, the Toronto Catholic and the Toronto District School Board. TDSB spokesperson Ryan Bird says they need to make decisions now. Since uh, the pandemic began, staffing has had to be delayed further into the year uh, because we were waiting for exactly what that fall plan would look like. Uh, Now uh, we can't wait for that. We want to go back to our typical time of staffing. The Elementary Teachers Foundation Federation of Ontario says it is fundamentally opposed to virtual learning being used as a learning model. And finally, in Atlantic Canada, Nova Scotia has entered into a $385 million 10-year agreement for the design and management of a digital medical record program. The one-person, one-record system will start rolling out in two years at hospitals and other medical facilities. Once in place, the system will replace or or connect more than 80 existing medical record systems allowing thousands of healthcare workers to access real-time patient data. Health Minister Michelle Thompson says the province is among the last in the country to still use paper medical records. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, starting in the world of soccer, it seems that it's official that Soccer Canada coach John Herdman is staying in his role with Team Canada. Yeah, he is. And um, I, I think this is a good decision. I think that, you know, the end goal is for them to be ready for the games in uh, four years' time, not necessarily the ones in, in Qatar. I think it was a 
you know, put the icing on top of the cake that they got where they got with Qatar. I think the end goal is the games in Canada, and I think there's nobody better than John Herdman to do that after much speculation that he would move on. I'm happy with this decision, and I like it. He built the women's program to tremendous success. He's led the Canadian men's program to tremendous success and definitely has earned the right to get four more years of uh, building this program. And uh, frankly, why would you want to live in New Zealand anyway? It's too close to Australia, too many snakes. Brock, let's uh, get to the world of hockey. The Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins played last night. We're officially into the NHL All-Star break. Brock, recap this game for us that uh, Toronto lost 5-2 to two to the NHL-leading Boston Bruins. It is a game. It was a game that just emphasizes how good Boston is. Boston does not get afraid when, when teams make pushbacks. Toronto made a couple of pushbacks yesterday, and uh, Boston just kept saying, nope, we're going to put another one in, and we're going to stay ahead and do this. Toronto has some injury issues that are going to, you know, be long lasting. Again, as we spoke about briefly yesterday, I think the top eight is essentially locked uh, for the playoffs. It's just a matter of positioning, not to say that you should lose games, but right now to have injury all across the NHL is probably a decent time to do it because you know that you're pretty well locked in with the top eight, maybe maybe with a couple of exceptions at the bottom. But overall, I think, you know, everyone's pretty well locked in. I think it was a, a decent game from Boston. Toronto definitely had some struggles just keeping up with the game and, and um, that kind of thing. I think you're seeing a, a situation where uh, Samsonov, Ilya Samsonov in net is getting a little tired. Uh, he's played a lot of uh, hockey lately. And played well, but at some point, you know, you need to rest the body. And so, uh, with the injury to Matt Murray, surprise, surprise, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to use a, a little bit of backup in this case. And I think yesterday was another one of those cases where you look and you say, "Yeah, I think he's starting to get a little tired." So Sheldon's gonna have to manage that a little bit uh, over the next little while. But there's a week between now or, or the All Star break and Toronto's next game, so. Yeah, some well-deserved rest for the Leafs. It's a bit of a raw deal for the Leafs. They have one of the top. They have they have one of the top three records in the. Excuse me, one of the yeah one of the top three records in the league right now. Mm-hmm. But three yeah. of the top five records in the league are all in that Atlantic division: Boston, mm-hmm. Toronto, Tampa. So the Leafs have the misfortune of being in part of a really really difficult division. They've also fought injuries all year long, especially on the defense core, Brock. So as you sit here on the All Star break. What do you make of where the Leafs are at right now? Because I would say they've overachieved. Yeah, I would say they've overachieved for all of what they um, have gone through. I, you know, a lot of people say it's important for them to have home ice, you know, for the playoffs. I agree. Um, But I I think they are uh, more better than where we thought they were going to be. And uh, they were certainly a playoff team. But just to to be this much solidified quote-unquote um with where you are with the injuries i think it's something to be said about that and at the beginning of the year you know when we when they had their struggles and everyone was kind of looking around at Sheldon keep going are you the right guy for the job i think that turned around uh surprisingly for the team and uh here we are so well-deserved rest uh going into the all-star break and uh we'll see where it goes but again a lot of toronto fans and i and i subscribe to this as a as a fan 
we'll we'll use the response of you know we need to win games in April and May, and I think that's true. I think Toronto's proven that they can win in the regular season. At some point, we got to put our money where our mouth is. But I also relate the Atlantic Division to the American League East and baseball. It's very tough when you have you know some of the best teams in that division, and you're just happen to be part of it because of regional restrictions. So, Brock, this week marks the 30th anniversary of NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman taking over that post in 1993. (laughs) It's pretty crazy to think where 30 years went. And one of the memes that was flying around yesterday in the hockey world is if you could sit down with Gary Bettman for 10 minutes and propose one NHL rule change, what would it be? Well, that got you thinking, Brock, about NHL rule changes. What is the rule change that you have in mind? Well, I saw this in a game recently with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it was a uh, penalty shot that was given. It was quite a um, necessary penalty shot. Um, But I would like to see a football style sort of take place where why not give the team the option to say, do you want the penalty shot or do you want the power play? Um, I I think teams would learn lean more towards the power play if you ask me but i don't know i think teams should have some choice in the matter versus letting the referee make the decision and i want to be clear based on the rule book as it stands right now that penalty shot that i'm referring to was clear cut it was a breakaway there's no the referee didn't there was no subjective to that i just it got me thinking of you know what about this uh would would you make that change where do you sit on that sort of thought haven't given it too much thought brock but i would say if a team would rather take a two-minute power play rather than a penalty shot they should be able to do so but certainly not vice versa right you shouldn't be giving teams penalty shots uh, left right and center but yeah if the ref thinks it's a penalty shot and goes to the coach and says you got 10 seconds decide you want this penalty shot or you want you want a two-minute power play? You should be able to pick. Uh, maybe because of the nature of a penalty shot, though, Brock, that, that's the one-on-one with the goalie, I, I feel like the, the, the scoring proportionality has to be higher on penalty shots than it is on power plays. You would think, but again, in the situation that I watched, it was more of a case of, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't made. And I think it all depends on who is getting the penalty shot. Like, is it a person that, that's good on on penalty shots that's the that's the question and to me it's a one and done sort of deal you either score or you don't which is the point of a penalty shot i i know captain obvious but um i just think the decision should maybe be left in the coach's hands uh versus the referee making that subjective decision but then we can get into the argument of you know human element versus robotic element and we could be here for you know another yeah. hour to have what, this discussion what so. if you what if you moved more to a soccer model that says the coach can elect to have whoever he wants to take the penalty shots yeah i i would agree with that um i think that's another sort of way to look at it uh, i kind of like that idea better because like you said a, a power play gives you a little bit um a little bit more time i would also say Maybe maybe you do something, and I don't know if this, as it's going to come out of my mouth, it kind of sounds a bit ridiculous. But if the coach chooses to take the power play, maybe you get a reduced power play versus the full two minutes because you've made the choice not to have the one-on-one um, with the goalie. So maybe you get some kind of a reduced 
power play. I don't know whether that works or doesn't, but there's all kinds of different ways you could, you know, slice the pie and figure out what's good and where. And that's why Gary Bettman's in his job and I'm not. So. Yeah, fair enough. And he's been doing it for three <laughs> decades now. Brock, thank you for this. Thank you. That is Brock Richardson. He is the host of the Neutral Zone, also an occasional pinch hitter on a Kelly and Company like he did yesterday. Well, Kelly and Ramya, I should say, but it was no Ramya. It was Brock yesterday, as I found out. So that's uh, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV. Kelly and Ramya, Alex Smythe is coming your way right now from the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow and possible snow squalls today. Four centimeters is set to fall with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 5 degrees, feeling like minus 21 with the wind chill. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny, a high of minus 5, feeling like minus 20. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's also mainly sunny, the high is minus 3, but the wind chill makes it feel like minus 11. Quebec City, Quebec, there's snow off and on today with up to 10 centimeters set to fall. Uh, the high is minus five and feeling like minus 23, but an extreme cold warning is in effect overnight as temperatures are going to be dropping to feel like minus 43. So be careful for that. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with snow beginning late this afternoon there's also going to be wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is minus one and feeling like minus 14 with that wind chill. As we head over to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's heavy snow beginning this morning and snow squall watch is in place. There's wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour. The high minus six, feeling like minus 28. To Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny. The high is minus 26. The wind chill makes it feel like minus 42. An extreme cold warning is in effect. To Regina, uh, Saskatchewan, it's clouds rolling in today. The high is minus 24, feeling like minus 43. So there's also that extreme cold warning in effect for that area too. To Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Then it'll become a mix of sun and clouds as the day goes on. The high is five degrees, but it's feeling like minus 25. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy with possible snow this morning, and then it'll become a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon. The high is minus 11, feeling like minus 28. The White Horse Yukon, it is mainly cloudy with snow expected in the morning. The high is minus 11, feeling like minus 25. Now let's head over to Kelowna, BC, mainly cloudy, the high is zero with a wind chill of minus five. And then finally in Vancouver, BC, mainly cloudy and high of eight degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Stephen Scott will tell you about the latest version of HumanWare's Victor Reader Stream. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There are a couple of accessible technology updates to share with you about Microsoft's CNAI app, as well as Humanware's release of the third edition of the Victor Reader Stream. Stephen Scott of Double Tap has an update on these technologies. Hey, good morning, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well, Stephen. Let's begin in the world of Microsoft's Seeing AI. They've announced an upgrade here to the app. How is this going to play into the purpose of the AI app? Well, it's interesting. This just dropped just this week, and it's a brand new feature called Indoor Navigation, which is part of what they call the World Channel. This is a new beta channel which exists on the Seeing AI app. And if you don't know what that app is, ultimately it's an app with a collection of different features. For example, giving you the ability to read instant text. So I could hover my phone over a piece of text and it could read it to me. Most notably, please wait while my computer is updating is the line I read most of my computer screen because uh, JAWS won't speak and it won't tell me what's going on. <laughs> and all I can hear is, so I have to wonder what the text on screen is and I can hold my phone up and it will read it instantly. I can also read a, a letter. So if a letter comes in, I open it up and it's not accessible to me. I can put the paper down and seeing I will scan and read the text back to me. There are other things as well, like light detection, colour detection. So it's, a, it's like a, really a Swiss army knife of mm -hmm. tools for blind people. This new feature, though, in the World Channel, allows you to plan and actually navigate indoors. And that's quite new. Yeah, what, do you mind what's the significance of that, to be offering some more indoor navigation? Because for a long time, to me, that struck me as sort of the big threshold in terms of automated navigation. Well, that's right, because, and it's not foolish to ask the question, well, why can't we use GPS? Of course, GPS doesn't work indoors because it's global positioning satellite, right? So satellites are outdoors, not indoors. So how do you navigate indoors? And that's the challenge that has been really for a lot of people, a lot of companies especially, trying to work out the best way to allow us to navigate indoors successfully to get from point A to point B. Now, this can be beneficial to everybody. Let's, for example, say you go to a shopping mall and you want to get to that one store that's selling that one product you want, but you have no idea where the shop is. Wouldn't it be great if you were able just to go into an app and it would direct you right immediately right to the door of it? And that's exactly, well, kind of built you know, on the idea of building what they've done here with seeing AI and Microsoft. They've built this into the app that allows you, as a user, to map the route yourself and also get someone else to do the route for you. I'll talk about that in a second. But primarily, you can set up a route by holding up your phone in front of you and capturing the space around you using your phone. And this is all, uh, you know, there's a full tutorial in the app on how to do this. And then you're able to follow that route. So say, for example, it was from a reception in a hotel to your hotel room door. You can now do that. You can actually plan that route. You can make that route. You could have someone walk with you even. Uh, and then when you get to the door, save the route and then use that the next time you come into the hotel and you want to get back to your room on your own. And that's the great thing about this. Now, the sharing part is interesting as well. Let's say you're going to a conference and there's a whole bunch of people going there and you have someone who is going to be there before you. They could map this route using their phone, downloading the Seeing AI app and doing exactly the same thing as a sighted person. And then they can actually share that route to you. Oh, that's phenomenal. And this could be useful in so many different things. I mean, let, let's take it, you know, let, let's say that I go for the AMI big event to Vancouver. I uh, don't know if that's happening or not. But, oh, you man, know, we'll please. Just decide Can, it no, is. Let, let, let's go together. Let's, let's, let's right. make one. Let's make one together. 
Exactly. So we're going to do the big route, and let's say Marco Flalo gets there before me. He can go and do all the routes and map it all out and just share it with us, and then we can find our way to our rooms on our own independently, but with that little bit of help added on. I, I just think this is such a cool app. Yeah, okay, that, that's like a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. The idea of capturing data real-time using, using humans, you, combining that with the technology, that's a great, great idea. That's a really cool update. Uh, Stephen, a general Microsoft question here. Certainly, like many tech companies, they've announced a number of layoffs. Do you believe that's yeah. going to have any impact on their accessibility efforts? Well, that's a great question, and the truth is we just don't know. What yeah. we do know at the moment is that Microsoft Soundscape, another app which kind of is not dissimilar to this, although it is for outdoor navigation, uh, this app is uh, being discontinued. What's happening is they are taking the code and they're making it available openly so that another company, another group could take it on and build it into their app, you know? So anybody could do that, really, and that's brilliant. But Microsoft themselves are not continuing it. Now, is that because of as we're seeing all these layoffs is it because they just don't have the teams anymore or is it because they've just decided to you know spike that particular project we don't know but it is hard not to connect the two right we're in a time where we're seeing a lot of layoffs at companies we don't know exactly who is being laid off in particular who in the accessibility teams might be mm -hmm. being laid off mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be hugely surprising to learn one or two may have if that's the case and, of course, that will impact on the work they do. But in saying that, Microsoft are doing incredible work and continue to bring great features. One of the latest ones we'll be talking about, I'm sure, soon, once we get a chance to try it, is transcription in Word. So you'll be able to have Word on your Windows computer, Microsoft Word. You'll be able to open it up, drop in an MP, uh, drop in an MP3 file of, say, a podcast or whatever it might be, and it will transcribe it for you right oh, there in the hello. You know, so super, super uh, useful tools are going to be built in. So Microsoft, you know, as always, batting out of the park with accessibility. Yeah, they've definitely, they've, they've doubled down and they keep doubling down on some of these projects. So uh, definitely interesting to see where they want to go to next, even in the era of layoffs. Stephen, let's turn to Humanware. The company's third edition of the Victor Reader Stream is coming out. What do we know about the new edition, what they're rolling out here, what's going to be included? Well, I would love to know, to be perfectly oh. honest. Uh, I, I have been so frustrated by this. Uh, apparently, they've been on podcasts that have the name Mystic in them, which I think is kind of ironic, considering the fact that no, no one actually knows anything about this product, and it doesn't seem that... They're, they're coming on to talk about it. The good news is we are going to be hearing from Humanware on tomorrow's Double Tap, so do check it out on AMI-audio, as always, noon, 8 p.m., 4 a.m. Eastern time, uh, and on podcast, of course. But, you know, the great thing is we're going to be speaking to them to understand a bit more about this new device, which does seem to be a little bit mystic in and of itself because there is no information online, nothing that you can find online about this device. Uh, it really is being picked apart. Information is being picked out of interviews that certain company members seem to be doing around the place, but there's no actual hard and fast detail. I can't look at a spec sheet and say this is what's coming. Okay. The one thing I am hearing, though, or a number of things I'm hearing, is that it will have Bluetooth in it, which I have to say is about time for the Victor Reader stream. Um, at the moment, what, one thing you don't have the ability to do with the current uh, crop of Victor readers is, you know, use your Bluetooth headphones. If you've got a really good pair of Bluetooth buds or, you know, a, a nice pair of headphones that you really like that are Bluetooth, you can't use them with that device without some kind of adapter being added on top. The new version will apparently have Bluetooth in it. It will also have increased storage, which is good. Um, 
It will also retain its 3.5mm headphone and microphone jack, nice. which is really good. Nice. This is feedback apparently from the community who have said do not get rid of that because a lot of people do use this to make their own podcasts or just record notes and lecture halls or whatever it might be. So it's going to retain a lot of the features. Slightly different design as well. Apparently it will have rubberized keys. A lot of question marks around how long, you know, what the longevity will be with something like that because oftentimes these keys can get a little bit... Well, they're not quite as, as, as good long-term. Oftentimes, the, 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 you know, you, you press down on them too often, they just don't start to work as well. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But like I say, not a huge amount of information beyond that. Um, of course, it will have Wi-Fi capability as it continues to have. I think there's also talk of it having another internet radio provider. Uh, it currently uses Utunes, which every time I say that, I just want to laugh out loud. <laughs> but yes, there is a provider called Utunes. Uh, apparently, they're looking at another one to provide more internet radio capability on the device. Uh, there is one downside, though, and maybe others, but one I know about, which is that, and this is generally across the Victor Reader stream um, collection, if you like, that Audible, which uh, once partnered with Humanware and certainly made it possible for people to download their Audible books onto the device, that doesn't seem to be available now. Now, that's not specific to this new third-generation device. That's an issue that Humanware are, are fighting with Audible on. Uh, what has to happen is, in order for the books to play legally, uh, you have to have the Victor Reader stream authorised by Audible, and this is something they did for years. Uh, but the software they are now rolling out from Audible is not allowing people to do that. So there's a bit of a campaign starting online to try and get more people to, you know, really lobby Audible to change this and make it possible. So people can make that, you know, their, their device of listening. A lot of people prefer that than trying to listen to books via their phone or, or tablet. So that's what we know. Uh, Stephen, considering you started that answer with we don't know a lot of things, you then spent four minutes telling me what you knew. So you certainly knew something. <laughs> There's no doubt that you knew something. And I look forward to a Detective Scott uh, pressing the humanware people tomorrow to find out even more. Stephen, have a great day. Thank you, Dave. Have a great day. <laughs> That's Stephen Scott. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can find The Pulse on AMI-audio Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. Today, Joita Gupta will be chatting with Paralympic swimmer Danielle Campo-McLeod about her new memoir, Resurrections, My Will to Survive. That's The Pulse, Thursdays, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next... We'll talk about parasports. Alex Smythe has a parasport roundtable chat with myself and Nazreen Abdelmajid. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Lots of para-sport stuff going on in the GTA this weekend, next weekend as well. And that has Alex Smythe thinking about questions related to the para-sport movement. What's on your mind, Alex? Uh, yeah, so Dave, you kind of teased it. Uh, tomorrow actually is the start of the Ontario para-sport games. And, you know, as, as part of this conversation, like I'm actually going to be at the games tomorrow reporting live on the air about uh, what we can expect. So it got me kind of thinking of uh, questions around parasport. So um, I, I guess we'll start with uh, Nizreen with this question. But if you had to choose a parasport to play Nizreen, which one would you choose? 
I would choose wheelchair basketball, mainly because I love basketball. I think that's the only sport that I focus on entirely. And uh, I've always wanted to play. Uh, that's a good answer. I like that. I feel like uh, that would be some real physical work. You you uh, watch yeah. those games, you're taking those games, and folks are working their tails off playing those games. Alex, uh, you and I talked about this off the air about a week and a half ago. I One of my great regrets in life as a young person is not further pursuing judo. I was a really good judoka when I was young. Well, offered a judo program through our grade six teacher, Mr. Nia, who uh, was a black belt in judo, and I was really good at it. I was really, really good at judo. And then when I graduated elementary school, I just never pursued it any further, and no one ever really explained to me that there was something called blind judo or there was a parasport route that existed in judo, and I only realized that again probably a little too late in life uh, when I was closer to 25, 26, and I was already starting to show some signs of my age and had not uh, done a throw or a trip or a choke in the better part of 14 years. So, Alex, one of my great regrets is not going down the pathway of blind judo. What about you? Any, uh, any, any sports in particular that you would have wanted to give a crack to? Uh, yeah, you know, for me, it's always been a bit of a, a, a challenge because having two kind of conflicting disabilities, hearing loss and vision loss, like I, I find often with the parasport world, they're, they're kind of when you're uh, adapting a sport for uh, one of those disabilities, you're reliant on the other. Like goalball, for instance, it's okay, well, it's for those who are partially sighted or blind. Well, you need good hearing to be able to hear the ball jiggling. So I wouldn't be very successful at that. Um, so I think for me, I, I've always kind of thought rowing as a possible like sport that I would do. Like I love being physical. I love, uh, you know, I would love to do judo, but I just know with, with me, like my eyes, I have a, a higher than normal chance of detaching a retina. And I don't think Oof. getting thrown around in a mat would be a, a good uh, outlet for me if I would have to worry every single time I take a hit if my, my eyes are going to stay intact. Uh, Nazreen, you heard Alex mention the complication that comes with multiple disabilities. You're someone mm -hmm. who does have multiple disabilities. How would that have influenced your choice to get engaged in parasports? Uh... I think that would have that would have helped a lot. I didn't even know about parasport until later in life because I used to play fun fact about me. I used to play volleyball in a league years back and uh, I had to quit so fast because that's when I started seeing uh, black floaties and um, also my uh, arthritis started acting up. My spine started acting up. There was so much inflammation then. So a lot of my multiple disabilities started acting up all at once. And that's when I wish I knew about like parasport back in the day just to learn more. And maybe there's a possibility of kind of incorporating me myself and what I'm going through and still be able to kind of play what I wish to play, whether it's basketball or volleyball or whatever. Because uh, honestly, because of my multiple disabilities, I didn't get a chance to participate in gym a lot or in sports in my high school. They dismissed me a lot. Uh, so it's it would have it would have definitely influenced me to kind of go into that direction. At this point, a lot of sports have been converted or adapted into Paris sports. Um... I've had a chance to try a few over the years, Alex. I know doing a lot of the work that you've done on even playing field on AMI TV had you into some of those pair of sport worlds as well. Alex, off the top of your mind, what are some sports that you think would make for a great conversion into a pair of sport? Uh, yeah, so there, there's a number of ones that haven't quite gotten there yet. Like I think something like 
bobsled. Uh, there, there is a kind of building movement to try to really increase this as a para sport. But I think there's there's other opportunities, and you could branch into not just one specific disability. You could have uh, someone who's mobility restricted, or or has limb loss, or even vision loss, who is already seated in the bobsled, and you could still have members of the team who still need to get in, and you can still have those remnants from the the traditional bobsled sport. So I I, th I always thought that was uh, one you could do. Uh, I, I think even like trying other types of forms of adaptions with like skiing and snowboarding. You know, we we, we have the limb loss uh, categories in the Paralympics, but there's got to be other disability adaptations that you could use to involve uh, snowboarding and skiing and make it a more of a uh, open sport for people to participate in. And even too, when we look at the higher levels, like, one, uh, we're starting to see a bit of growth of five-a-side soccer here in, in Canada. I'd love to see mm -hmm. more versions, iterations of soccer uh, would be a, a really uh, fun sport. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for growth in those. Yeah, yeah. Ramya Amuthan is involved in uh, mm -hmm. some of the blind soccer stuff going on, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you mentioned bobsled, and I'm not going to do the accents, but I will paraphrase cool runnings. <laughs> you know, some people uh, say yes. that they can't believe that the Crip folks are going to have a bobsled team. Huh? Huh? Okay. No, <laughs> Nizreen, what about you? Any any sports top of mind that uh, that you might think uh, could convert nicely into para sports? Uh, I would not do bobsled. That's that's for okay. sure. I don't <laughs> anything with the cold or anything like that. That's not for me. Um, at the top of my head. No, not not really at the top of my head. All right, let's let's finish on a pop quiz. What sport, para or non-para, is the best sport? Nizreen, I think I know your answer. Wheelchair basketball. Okay. All right. I thought you were going to go basketball, basketball because of your Raptors fandom. But, uh, oh, way to, yes. Way to, keep, way, to, way to keep it in the para world. Well done, Nazreen. Uh, <laughs> Alex, I think it's no secret uh, to anybody who uh, listens to the daily sports chat with me and Brock that football is my favorite sport. What about you? I think when it comes down to the question of what is the best sport, what is testing the physicality, the strategy, and it's really putting the emphasis on the athlete, I think soccer, because unlike football, you're not stopping in between each play to draw a play. The coaches have very little involvement during the game. It's all on the players to come up with the strategy and the tactics to win in the game. So I think soccer is the best. Alex, that's well put. That's well said. Thank you for your questions today. Nizreen, thank you for your question, for your answers. Thank you. That's Nizreen Abdel-Majid, AMI-audio producer, who produced something with me yesterday and is producing something with me this afternoon as well. But shh, we're keeping that on the low for now. And Alex Smythe is the co-host of this show. You did not hear from Ramya Amuthan in this segment. Ramya is a little under the weather, not going to be part of Kelly and Ramya today at 2 p.m. Eastern time. But the show must go on. So 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. You'll get a chance to hear from Fern Lullum in the UK asking the question, is there a right or wrong way for doctors to break bad news to people? That's an excellent question. Mayor Mamalidi will offer up some ideas on how to make Valentine's Day extra special with some delicious treats. And Michael Fair has checked out some of the most popular habit tracking and task management apps, so he's going to give you the lowdown on those accessible solutions or what accessible solutions exist out there. That's Kelly and Ramya, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, Don Dickinson has a preview of McLean's Magazine. 
featuring an article about the opioid crisis in Canada. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. TV. This week's episode of McLean's Magazine features an article called The Revolution at My Door. It explores the story of a doctor who turns his cos cosmetic medicine practice near Tehran into an ad hoc ER for protesters fighting the oppressive Iranian regime. Here to tell you more about the story is Don Dickinson. Don is the content curator of McLean's Magazine, which you can find Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi there, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Don, how did this doctor become involved in the revolution? Well, it's quite the story, uh, Dave. It's the main one of the main features uh, in, in McLean's, and it, it basically starts out by saying that he was, in fact, uh, performing in his clinic as a cosmetic surgeon. Uh, so he was doing really. Um, well, typical cosmetic type of things, you know, Botox and lip injections and laser hair removal and stuff like that. Nothing really serious, right? And then one day, uh, a gentleman came into the clinic with his 10-year-old son, and uh, he had his uh, son draped in his coat. And when they took the coat off his back, he realized that this young boy had been shot many a time. And uh, it turns out, of course, that the boy and his father were... Um, they were not actively in the, in the protests, but they had gone just out of curiosity to some of the protests uh, that were be, that were going on in Tehran because of the situation that basically everybody in the world has heard about now with uh, Masa uh, Amini, who had you know been taken into uh, custody by the um, by the Tehranian. Um, uh, Iranian uh, morality police. Mm -hmm. So these protests were taking place, and then of course this this young boy was brought in, and he was um, treated by this doctor, and then kind of word spread. Um, it got to the point where um, people were starting to bring in uh, various other people that had been injured in various protests, and this doctor started to treat them, and then of course. Um, you know, word gets out, and then he he uh, he obviously was being threatened, and he was in danger. So the so the regime does come after him. What happens? Yeah, yeah. Well, it it actually was pretty bad. Um, he had he he knew that this was was something that could happen because his mother had gone through this situation. His mother was a pianist, and and you know, with the whole regime um, uh, situation not liking the mixing of men and women and not liking music and all the rest of it they had they had really restricted her lifestyle so he knew that this is that this was um something that was uh, probably going to be happening for a while you know and let's face it this has been going on for many 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 years now since um the ayatollah took over so uh, he decided that at that point after, uh, you know, he'd had various warnings from people that, you know, he was in danger, that he it was essential that he just get out of Canada or sorry, just get out of Iran and get to Canada. So what is his situation now that he has escaped to Canada? 
Um, well, it, it's best to just quote him. He says, in my first months in Canada, I stayed in Airbnbs in Vancouver and Toronto, living as cheaply as possible. I also uh, only brought $5,000 from Iran. That was the only money I could take out. And I'm currently staying near Toronto. Um, an immigration uh, lawyer has, in fact, taken up his case, and he's filed for refugee status um, on, uh, you know, on his behalf. But the story is just heart-wrenching because it, it's quite extensive, and it talks about the fact that you know here he was uh, a doctor and a professional in his home country and had a life and and you know friends and family and all the rest of it and now he's in a situation where he's basically you know eating at mcdonald's every day to save money and hopefully he will he will get his status and 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 uh and be able to stay in the country it's a story that's all too familiar for people uh, fleeing oppressive regimes from all over the world Don, let's come to another difficult story. It's Canada's opioid crisis. It's written by yeah. Dr. Vincent Lamb, who is an addiction specialist. In the interview, he speaks with McLean's about opioid addiction. How did Dr. Lamb describe the current rates of opioid abuse? Well, he has a new book out um, uh, called On the Ravine, and basically it's, uh, as we all know, it's a fairly dire situation. The number of deaths have increased. Um, he says, I'm not sure when you officially declare a crisis, but every single death, in my opinion, is a tragedy. My concern is that we, if we only think about the current situation as acute, our treatments will be knee-jerk. There's danger in thinking that after some traumatic intervention, intervention like medication or costly rehab stay, everything will be fine and dandy. Um, but as he explains in the article, it's actually an interview, a Q&A interview, um, many of these people, you know, they do have rehab, but then they, they get back into the same lifestyle again. And it can be a treatment that goes on for a long time. Don, you mentioned that in his Q&A, he says that every loss is a tragedy. But what was a single incident that made him switch from emergency medicine to addictions? Um, well, his answer to, the, uh, to this question was 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 quite emotional. He said it was a gradual change. I worked in emergency uh, medicine for 13 years. I really enjoyed it, but it was difficult to always be opening the curtains, uh, opening the curtains to a new relationship, having to win trust, and then not knowing how things would turn out. I was also seeing the significant burden that opioid use had on the medical system. And I think what happened with him, he just saw the severity of the situation and realized that something had to be done, to his great credit. So now that he's working in this field and the problem continues to be very acute, BC's coroner just put out their data yesterday saying that, yeah. that over 2,200 people died last year in BC of drug overdoses. What systemic changes does Dr. Lam want to see in how addiction is treated in Canada? Uh, his answer that, to that question, Dave, was addictions... Um became a crisis uh, when we don't have access to good pain management and mental health care. The absolute top priority is to make sure everyone, everyone has access to a family doctor. In Ontario medicine, in Ontario medicine is an array of disconnected services. If you have a mental health problem or uh, 
you do not have a GP, and of course, th this is this is crucial. Not mm -hmm. having a, a, mm -hmm. a doctor yourself, um, it can feel uh, like you don't have the proper support. You need additional support. You might struggle to find a counselor because everyone is working independently. Also, if at some point you visit a detox facility, they probably won't communicate with any of your existing professionals. So he really thinks that the system has to change. A it has it has to improve to the point where people have a family doctor that is fundamental mm -hmm. and second to that the communications between that uh doctor that that you know pivot point that, that begins with with your own personal physician that that has to um you know be improved so that communication across the medical system is improved don you mentioned uh pain management is something that dr lamb identifies that all too often painkillers are being prescribed willy-nilly, and that's where a lot of the evidence is suggesting people are developing these habits. It starts actually at the pharmaceutical level being prescribed something like a, like a Dilaton that is meant to be a painkiller for an acute incident and then becomes habit-forming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's the luck of the draw, uh, Dave, really, about these addictions. Um, you know, like I've broken an awful lot of bones in my body. I've played an awful lot of sports. I'm sure you have too, right? And I've been prescribed opioids for a lot of those injuries, uh, for pain and, and during the healing process. And I've never had a single problem with it. You know, it's just like, and, and, and I've never even had a problem weaning myself off of it. You know how they say you have to slowly wean yourself off. Mm. No, I just stopped. That was it. You know, I, but my system reacts, reacts that way, but you have to have great sympathy, sympathy for those patients who, as you say, take it legitimately for pain after an injury and then develop these terrible addictions. Yeah, and there's no, there's no support in the system for those individuals to say, oh gosh, we need to get you into the physiotherapy or we need to get you into some, to some rehab or some therapy for this particular injury for a chronic pain. Instead, it's just, ah, yeah, write another prescription, write another prescription, and it just, it, it, yeah. it really puts people in an unfortunate situation. Don, as always, McLean's Magazine is a fascinating, fascinating show. Thank you for making time to preview it for us this week, and we will talk to you again next week. Okay, Dave, take care. That's Don Dickinson, the content curator for McLean's Magazine, which you can find Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio, Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. It actually plays throughout the week at various times, but it's easiest to, just to tell you McLean's Fridays, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. That's all the time we have for the show today. Coming up tomorrow on the show, as Alex Smythe told you, he's going to report live from the Ontario Parasport Games in Whitby. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern Time right here on AMI-tv. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.